Hello and welcome to episode 230 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Vienna, Virginia. This is Ben Olson. With me, as always, is Nathan Fox in Los Angeles. How's it going, Nathan? It's good. I'm in LA, but I'm not in my place. Um, they're doing a crazy construction project over at my house where they <laughs> apparently it's an old, you know, old building and uh, it needed all new pipes. Okay. Yeah. And so over the course of the last three days, they said it was, of course, they said it was going to be a one day project and it's now on day three. But uh, okay. they have torn out all of the pipes in the entire place and replaced it, replaced the pipes with new pipes. Hmm. What kind and of pipes? Plastic or what's the standard these days? I, uh, dude, do you think I know anything about that type of shit? I don't know. I thought you'd be looking. No, um, no. My dad did work in a hardware store when he was in high school. Um, all my whole family is handy, but I am not <laughs> in the slightest. <laughs> so I'm just like, <clears throat> grab my laptop and today I got my microphone and all my other shit and I'm over at a friend's place because the show must go on, Ben. It must. Yeah. Well, I'm glad your pipes are being replaced. I can't imagine the old pipes are like good for you. Oh yeah. I'm sure I was getting all sorts of lead poisoning and whatever. Yeah. That's probably why you were slurring your words last time. <laughs> like Trump. Have you seen <laughs> Have you seen the videos going around of Trump? I mean, we shouldn't make fun of it because he has like some neurological disorder or drug drug addiction or something, but have you seen him like totally glitching out? Not, I haven't seen, I guess, the recent videos going around, but I have seen him like stumble through words and make words up and then just continue on as if that was a word that we should all just accept. I, um, well, now he, it's, it's worse than that. I mean, the videos that I've seen are just like him completely. Like he, he recovers real quickly and he, he changes the subject. He, he, or he changes the, 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 story he starts going look 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 and then he like resets mm. to this new thing but he just mm. it's like he i don't know man it, it's really bizarre he just completely he starts like repeating syllables kind of he just gets like stuck in a word it's it's very strange <laughs> mm. i have um, a theory i have a theory you know we always have theories on this show okay um uh, so i don't think that presidents get a lot of sleep right Oh. And it sounds like he in particular is like proud of his lack of sleep, right? I think he has boasted in the past that, you know, oh, I'm up till really late and I get up early and I I just work, work, work for the people. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh-huh. <laughs> or whatever. But, um, I mean, after reading that book on sleep, why we sleep, uh, just convinced me that you it's just not sustainable. The yeah. damage that is done to your brain and your body is uh, pretty well documented if you don't get about yeah. seven hours of sleep. So, I and I imagine the stress he's under, I mean, he's no one likes him, right? I mean, he has to recognize that on some level. And I shouldn't say no one, but um, <laughs> a large, yeah. a large number of, of Americans and most of the world are angry at him yeah and so huh. anyways i bet he's, he's not got getting sleep and all he's sorts of like, weird shit going on i mean he's wearing like a t- 
crazy amount of makeup and he's like, makeup oh, yeah, is that yeah. why he's orange or orange yes yeah, yeah like okay. there's pictures of him from the side where you can see where the like pancake makeup that he's wearing just stops and it's like a white line of his like neck is sort of like normal skin and then his face is just like totally orange and he's you know he's like grotesquely overweight now and i don't know he's just more <laughs> overweight than he was before wow. yeah it's, yeah it's not a good job i mean for health i don't think yeah well <laughs> i don't know if he's set up to handle it <laughs> <laughs> so yeah okay well wait i don't know how did we get on that oh yes you're slurring and his slurring so <laughs> yeah. you and trump have something in common oh, actually you never slurred your words i was just thank you making things up well anyways today on the show we have an lr elevator pitch we have notes from lsac's careers in the law seminar which happened recently with i think president kelly testy Mm -hmm. uh question is the demon right for me um part-time law school question we have a low gpa and 150 diagnostic if that's your diagnosis, work with that. doesn't sound too bad. No. Yeah. Um, and then Sean. Sean has submitted a personal statement. We wish you luck. Great. Uh, yeah, this will come out on Monday, February 3rd. The F- March LSAT registration deadline is coming up in a week on Tuesday, February 11th. Then you have the February LSAT on the 22nd, which is a Saturday. I noticed, by the way, that LSAC has made all their tests in the fall on Saturdays this coming year. Last year, they had some on Saturdays and some on Mondays. Uh, This year, only the June and July tests will be on Mondays, just so you know. Uh, Well, I guess in the next cycle, the March test is on a Monday as well, and that's March uh, 30th. But in any case... um, if you have questions, email the show at help at com. Please send us your selfies. I know that's exciting to share with the world, and it's nice to share with everyone who's listening. Do you have any announcements? Uh, I do not have any announcements, no. <laughs> okay, cool. Do you want to read this elevator pitch? It's a question about about elevator pitches for LR questions. It says, hey, guys, me and my study partner... Hmm. My study partner and I do this thing where we give an elevator pitch for the most popular LR question types. We quiz each other to keep our skills, sorry, to keep up our skills as we prep for the June LSAT. I wanted to ask you guys if you had elevator pitches or quick fire lines for LR question types and LR in general. Thanks for the podcast and the demon. All the best. Kip. Uh, Okay. We can we can do that, sure. I think yeah. I, we could go through probably ten types of LR questions and just try to keep it to a. I mean, we don't even need a elevator pitch, really. It can be like one line, right? Yeah. Hey, so look, I was just looking at the data for LR questions in the Demon, uh-huh. um, like yesterday, actually. So I'm pulling it up right now. And what I'm thinking here is, Kip says the most popular. Um, I think what she means is most common LR questions. Sure. And I actually have that data here. So we can, if 
focus on the ones that are most common and give some people a little context of how often these question types appear. Maybe you start from the top of the list and I'll give you a, um, a, a just a here's what I want people to be thinking about. Sure. You can let me know yeah. if you agree or not. Okay, cool. So the most common question type by far, any guess? Must be true or supported. Uh, that's a, that's okay. Could be if you separate must be true and supported, then they're not. But if you combine them together, then that's 18% of all LR questions. And so that would be the most common. So we could start there with must be true. Sure. I do, by the way, I mean, in all my books, I always lumped those two categories together. I didn't bother to separate must be true from quote supported questions. Sure. Because, or some people call what we call supported. People call that a soft must be true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but I, I think on the first look, it's it sort of makes sense to just treat supported questions as if there must be trues anyway. I yeah. can't imagine having a different strategy while you're going through the answer choices for the first time. I think your I think your strategy should be the same for those yep. two types, at I least agree. on your first pass through the answer choices. So I'm I'm looking for the one that it said, mm-hmm. <laughs> like. It either said it or it necessarily implied it. This has to be true and can't be false. I'm looking for boring, obvious, conservatively stated, just like the one that has to be true based on the facts. Yeah. That's kind of long for an elevator pitch, but (laughs) you can boil that down. One thing I like to say to people just to hammer it home is – the correct answer will either restate one of the facts in the passage so that they yep. don't make that mistake of thinking that they have to, quote, infer something new. No, nope. it nope. doesn't have and to capture all the facts either. It's just like nope. anything that has to be true. Yeah, okay. So if it restated one of the premises, that would be awesome. Yep, that would be awesome. Or uh, the other option, which is a little more common but still uh, totally possible, is to just take two or more of the premises that were provided and combine them together to give you something else that necessarily must be true. Yeah. So maybe we boil all that down to it's what they said. No more than what they said. No more than what they said. And one other thought, um, although people tend to latch onto this uh, too much maybe, but it's still valuable. I know what you're going to say, I think. The any time an answer choice says something with strongly worded yeah. language like always or only, uh it doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong. It could totally be proven by the passage. It's just often the case that that pushes that answer choice a little too far and now it's no longer true or something that must be true. Yeah, and if you if you think about it from the test maker's perspective, it's a lot it's it's a very easy, convenient way for them to write a wrong answer is Mm -hmm. to just take something that's basically true, right? So all they have to do is write something that it said Mm -hmm. and then just turn up the volume just a little bit too high. Just turn a sometimes into a usually or turn usually into an always or turn Mm -hmm. one reason into the only reason or one reason becomes the primary reason, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, or mm-hmm. one factor and it becomes like a necessary condition, right? So all they have to do is just amp it up. 
It's yeah. basically right. It's basically what they said, but then they just like turn it up. Mm-hmm. And then it, now it becomes a wrong answer. So I like that maybe if we're going to boil it down to a real short phrase, it's just, you know, no more than what they said. No more than what, what they, they said. said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No more than what they said. <laughs> Nothing extra. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, uh, so must be true is 8% roughly of logical reasoning. Supported is roughly 10%, at least historically. So that's 18%. So roughly, you know, a fifth of the section is going to be this. When it, you look over at reading comp, you're doing the exact same thing. And supported kind of questions make up. Uh, I actually don't know the percentage, but it's somewhere close to like 50% or yeah. more of the questions. So the, you know, this is a huge part of the test. And actually, if you think about games, right, games are just a bunch of must be true questions. So they're just trying to figure out, can you figure out what was said or what must be true given what was said? And yeah. Yeah. The entire test is a test of reading comp. So supported and must be true questions are absolutely many reading comp questions. Just mm-hmm. did you read mm-hmm. the facts on the page? Can you read the answers, understand the answers, and you know understand that one of them is exactly what it said? Yeah, and it's just re- it's just a reading comp. Good. Anything else on that? Yeah, I so I mean to to like reformulate it again for okay, must be true sure. and supported. It's maybe maybe you even throw in like mini reading comp. It's a mini reading comp question. Okay. Yeah. Right. What did it say? <laughs> No more than the, no more than what it said. It's a mini yep. reading comp question. Yeah. Okay. Oh, and I guess maybe should we talk about the difference between supported and must be true? Yeah, we might as well. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a subtle difference. It's just that in the supported category, the question stem will have some softening language in it. So it'll say something like which one is most strongly supported by the mm-hmm. facts instead of which one must be true based on the facts. It'll say which one is most strongly supported by those mm-hmm. facts. And all that means is you don't really change your strategy. It's just that if you can't find an answer that is strictly proven by the facts, then you pick the next best thing. It's like, yeah, 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 right. I understand that this doesn't have to 1000% be true based on these facts, but it's awful goddamn close. Yeah. Right. So that's the only difference between the two types. Yeah. And you know, I think sometimes as test takers get better and this is a good sign in my mind they might say something like, hey, I, I'm i like uh, a little perplexed by answer choice D. It's correct, but I don't think it has to be true, even though it's very likely to be true. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. And I'm glad you were kind of imposing that sort of test on that answer choice. You're like, did this have to be true? No, it doesn't necessarily have to be true. And then it's like, look at the prompt. And it's like, oh, which one of the following is most strongly supported? Yep. And they're like, oh... Okay, so the test writers are even in some extent, to some extent acknowledging that this doesn't have to be 100% true, but boy, it's it's damn close. It's 99%. Yeah. And and but so I mean, to back up though, frequently the correct answer is proven by the facts. It is. Yeah. And so that's why you don't want to lower your standards before you look at the answer choices. You want to go through the answer choices expecting to find something that strictly must be true. And if you can't, if you eliminate all five, if you think, no, that none of these five have to be true, well, then 
if the if the question says which one is most strongly supported by okay now take another look and lower your standards a little bit and yeah one of them is going to be the one that has the best support doesn't maybe strictly have to be true but frequently even when they ask you for that soft you know which one is most strongly supported very frequently the answer is strictly a must be true yeah, you know, this discussion is making me think about the differences between a sufficient assumption question and a strengthening question. And then what we're talking about right now, the differences between a must be true question and a supported question. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's interesting because it seems like the differences between a must be true and a supported question, which we're talking about now, is pretty much like almost nothing, right? But the difference between a sufficient assumption question and a strengthening question seems to be greater in well, practice. Like there's more answer choices that don't strengthen it very much, but they end up being correct because sure, the others do nothing. Sure. But I, I think the analogy is there though, that lots of times on a strengthened question, you will find a sufficient assumption. Sure. And if, if one of the answers is a sufficient assumption, then that's the answer for sure. Mm-hmm. So if you make strengthened questions, those are similar to most strongly supported in this analogy and yeah. must be true questions are similar to, um, sufficient assumption questions in this analogy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? If you're looking at a, at a supported question and you find something that strictly must be true, that is definitely the answer. And if you're looking at a strengthened question and you find a sufficient assumption, that is also most definitely the answer. But, oh yeah. But those categories are a little looser, right? Like the, you, you can sometimes lower your standards on a supported question and say, well, yeah, it's not a hundred percent must be true, but like, look, these four answers are terrible and this mm-hmm. one is at least what they were suggesting. And yeah. so that's the best answer. Same thing on a strengthened question. It's like, well, these four don't strengthen the argument at all. Or, you know, that maybe they weaken the argument. And then this one, it's like, well, it doesn't like prove the conclusion. It's not a sufficient assumption. But it does help the argument somewhat. Yeah. All right. Well, then that's the best strengthener. It strengthens it the most. Well, I guess I, it just seems like in practice, strengthening questions more often leave a decent amount of the argument sure. unfixed. Yeah, right? I think strengthening questions is one of the broadest categories, like or, yeah. the categories that has the broadest range of correct answers, because sometimes the answer will be a sufficient assumption, which just proves the conclusion to be correct. Other times it's going to be like some of the strength and some of the correct answers for strength and questions are like super shitty, right? Like, yeah, well, horrible. Mm -hmm. It's just like, well, I can't pick any of these other four. And this one at least strengthens by circumstantial evidence. Yeah. Like the, the the likelihood of the, of the conclusion being true has just gone up 2%. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Well, it's like you have a terrible case, but you're going to put something in your brief. (laughs) You know, like which one of these facts are you going to lean on? Because you got to make a case. That's your job. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess this (laughs) like it sucks. But yeah, I guess I'll pick that. Yeah. Okay. Um, Anyway, should we get through this? Try to get through. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. Two categories (laughs) out of that was our elevator pitch. And we've gone up and down the building like 10 times. We're like, (laughs) no, you can't get out of the elevator. Stay here. Um, the next most, well, or arguably the most common question type uh, after that is is flaw. That makes oh, up 15% yeah. of the test. So um, we're looking at 20% or 18% and now 15%. Okay. So this is, this is this the one bulk I can, of LR right here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one I can definitely give a, an elevator pitch or a, it's even shorter than an elevator pitch. For flaw okay. questions, 
Which one did they do wrong? Mm-hmm. So they did it. So it's like a must be true question first. Mm-hmm. They did this thing and it's wrong that they did it. Yeah. And when you say they did it, what you're saying is that the five answer choices, which is kind of unique among all the different question types in LR, is that the five answer choices describe what's going on. Where yes. a lot of answer choices in the uh, logical reasoning are, are substantive. Yeah. They're actual like yeah. ideas. Right. Yeah. Um, so now we're just expanding on the elevator pitch. The elevator pitch is, yep. did they do it wrong? But to expand on that, the did they do it is, can I stand up in court and say, yes, your honor, they did this. The thing that this yeah. is describing is a thing that my you know, opponent did. And it's a problem that they did it. Yeah. And that first point is, is nice because it makes these question types easier. Like a lot of times these wrong answers are describing flawed reasoning, things that you cannot do in arguments. But as you read that description, if you're like, whoa, 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 this guy never talked about an authority or never relied on an authority. So to say that this person's argument is flawed because they relied on authority, um, you can just stop. You're like, who cares whether or not this is a good or bad thing to do in an argument? That didn't happen here. So moving on to the next answer choice. Yeah, it's never if they would have done it, it would be a problem. It's yeah. did they actually do it, and it's a mm-hmm. problem that they did that. Yep. Cool. Yeah, good. All right. Um, the next most common question type, uh, at least in the demon, which has all the tests, so I guess historically, uh, is the strength in question. I just say, which one of these helps the argument the most? Yeah. And I, I like to clarify, I don't know why I do this, but I like to emphasize like which one of these, if true, most strengthens the conclusion, just to mm. get people like focused on that, okay, even I, if it's strengthening that's interesting, the reasoning. Though, that's interesting, because see, there, I feel like there's a bit of a problem with that. You can tell me if you, if you think I'm right or wrong, but mm-hmm. there are certain questions where a wrong answer will strengthen the conclusion but they won't strengthen the argument that was made in favor of that conclusion. Like it'll basically be a different reason why the conclusion might make sense, but it's not actually strengthening the argument that was made. That's interesting. I, I don't feel like I've ever seen that. No, I'll look, I'll keep an eye out for it. Cause I, I am sure that there are examples of that. It's not, hmm. it, it's, and maybe it's something to do, maybe sometimes the question stem will say which one of the following most strengthens the reasoning in support of the conclusion. Yeah. They, I do think that there's a subset maybe of strengthened questions that are specifically asking you to strengthen the argument that was made in favor of a conclusion. But I just be, I just warn people to be a little bit careful. It's like, yeah, yeah. If, hey, if all else is equal, there's only one of these answers that, or, or you know, just like, if all the other answers are real shitty, then sure, one answer mm-hmm. that strengthens the conclusion's got to be the correct answer. But if you narrow it down, sometimes there'll be maybe if there's two good answers, that are two answers that you think both strengthen the conclusion, think about whether one of them is making an entirely different case for that conclusion. Because I, I have certainly seen multiple questions where 
a wrong answer is supporting the conclusion, but it's actually making an entirely different case than what the speaker was making. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I huh. Cause see, I we'll guess run across them. Is, uh, listeners yeah. help at thinking If you run across a strengthened question in your studies where you think that there's a wrong answer that does strengthen the conclusion, but doesn't strengthen the actual argument made in favor of the conclusion, please email help at thinking And we'll talk about it on the show. Cause I know that they exist. Okay. So the language in strength and questions tends to be like, which one of the following if true most strengthens the conclusion or the argumentation or the argument or the reasoning. And when they don't refer to the main conclusion, sometimes I've noticed that they're like trying, they're, they're, they're giving you like the correct answer is something that helps strengthen a jump between say a premise and an, and the intermediate conclusion. Uh-huh. Um, you know, cause you can have a, <laughs> a problem there and then you, the, maybe the intermediate conclusion successfully supports the main conclusion, but we never even got to the intermediate conclusion cause that wasn't supported. I still feel like stepping back that helps the main conclusion cause now the intermediate conclusion is established. Right. And so for simplicity, I like to keep people focused on that so that they're not accidentally like strengthening a premise or something like that. I'm I'm curious really if there is like if those answer choices are strengthening the conclusion. I'm sure that that's I'm, I'm sure that they exist. I'll will I'll, I'll keep an eye out. I'll tell you next time I run across okay. one. Anyway, for now the elevator pitch is uh, just hey, which one strengthens this argument or strengthens the conclusion the most? Um, sometimes you think about it like, hey, if you have to make a case in favor of this conclusion, and you only get to pick one of these five facts, mm-hmm. which one of these do you want to be a fact? Which one of these is going to do the most to help you? Yeah. Cool. The next most common question type is necessary assumption. Okay, easy. Which one does the author have to agree with? Another way of saying that is, which one, if false, will ruin the argument? Yep. I think I spend half of my mm -hmm. time as an LSAT teacher talking about necessary assumption questions, it feels like. (laughs) Yeah, well, they're common, right? So they make up 11% of the test. So they're over one-tenth of all the, or yeah, one-tenth of all the questions you encounter. And they're, people are kind of looking for the wrong thing a lot of times, right? They hear necessary and they're looking for a sufficient assumption. So that's messing them up. Um, Well, the problem, they, I, I was just like arguing with my class in Los Angeles uh, last weekend I was arguing with one of my students. I had, I had to keep like correcting her, like keep pushing back because I, I like to do that. I actually make them give me the elevator pitch for necessary assumption. Cause I want to make sure that they know what they're doing. Mm. And you know what? And the students will always stumble over it. And I'm like, listen, there's not that many things you can memorize, but I want you to memorize on necessary assumption questions, memorize mm-hmm. which one does the author have to agree with? Another way of saying that, which one must be true according to the author? Another way of saying that, which one, if false, will make the argument lose? And you really Mm -hmm. need to feel that. You need to know what it feels like that when it's false, it makes the argument lose. But I'll ask students like, hey, can you describe... You know what? What are you looking for on a necessary assumption? And then they start going, "Well, it's the one that has to be in order to make the argument good. 
it has to fill the gap. And I'm like, no, 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 yeah, no, no. That's like a means to an end too. It's like not the actual goal. Well, it's just necessary assumption questions are 0% about making the argument win. That's a sufficient mm-hmm. assumption question. Mm-hmm. Necessary assumption questions are harder. They're less predictable. Now, you still should be attacking the argument. And if you find an obvious missing piece of the argument, the correct answer is probably related to that obvious missing piece. Yeah. But when you're formulating an answer or when you're formulating a prediction, you want something narrowly tailored, weakly worded. You want something that the author would have to agree with where they're, they, if you showed them this thing, they would have to look at that and go, ah, yeah, yeah, that hat, that, yep. Mm-hmm, yep. That's true. That has to be true. Because if yeah. that thing were false, it would destroy their case. Yeah. If it's helpful, one way to think about this is in a necessary assumption question, you're saying, okay, if, you want to prove that conclusion if you want to prove it. And we're not, not that we have to prove it. I'm just saying if you want to, what idea or ideas do you have to accept as true on the way to doing that? Whereas in a sufficient assumption question, you're not saying if the conclusion is true or proven, you're saying if the answer is true, which one is going to make the conclusion true? So... Yeah, it's like if the conclusion is true versus if the answer is true. You're in a necessary assumption question. You're assuming from the get-go that the conclusion is true and you're trying to figure out what else has to be true if if you're going to get there. Anyways, I know that can be confusing, but that's that's the difference between the top-down and the bottom-up. Yeah, just be types. careful that you're not actually trying to get there. <laughs> you can't try to get to the conclusion. You can't try to make the argument win. It's just mm-hmm. which one, if it were false, would destroy the argument. Frequently, the correct answer on a necessary assumption question is bizarre, like has nothing to do with the conclusion. It's just that if this thing were false, it would ruin the argument. Like it can be the opposite of uh, unexpected weakener. So lots of times the correct answer on necessary assumption questions will just come completely out of left field. It will come out of left field. It, it has to relate to the conclusion in some way, right? Because it's going to destroy. The but not conclusion. in any predictable just, way. Not it does not have to be predictable yeah. in the slightest. It could be but something. But when you look at it, you're like, oh, yes. Right. If that were not true. Right. So let's go we back to, be able to get to our conclusion. Which one does the author have to agree with? Yep. And another way of saying that is which one, if false, is going to destroy the argument? Okay. Okay. Uh, the next one, we've is already probably covered half of the questions, right? Oh yeah. We've covered at least percentage wise, probably 70%. Of okay. The test let's just point. get up to like 90 and then, then we'll leave yeah. it because we don't so need to weekend. try to. Yeah. So last one's weekend. And then if, if you want, it's uh paradox is next 7%, but weekends at yeah. nine. And we should do sufficient assumption too, but, um, weekend, uh, is just kind of the opposite of strengthen. I mean, which one of these is a bad fact for the argument? Like if you were trying to kill the argument, which one of these would you like to bring up? <laughs> which one mm-hmm. of these would you hope to be able to prove? Because if you could, if you could get this into the evidentiary record, mm-hmm. it would ruin the argument or, you know, it doesn't have to kill the argument. It doesn't have to destroy the argument, but 
ideally it would. Yeah. Right. Which one of these mm-hmm. will be a real bad fact for the opposition? Yeah. And the language tends to be stronger. Yeah. Which is the same as strengthen because the question stem says, which one, if true will strengthen the most or which one, if true will weaken the most. And so you don't have to worry about, well, this answer is not justified or, whoa, that says always that's too strong. (laughs) That's just the totally wrong analysis because it's asking you if it were true, Mm -hmm. which one would do the most? Yeah. All right. The next most common question type is paradox. Paradox questions. I feel like I almost always know it's a paradox question before I ever even get to the question stem. Oh yeah, for sure. They they tend not to be arguments. Even if they are, there's some sort of like like conundrum, right? These two facts are conflicting with each other. Yeah, it's just a puzzling set of circumstances. Mm-hmm. How can these both be true at the same time? Yeah. And so you, let's see. So for an elevator pitch for that, I like to tell people that I formulate a why question, and my why question incorporates both of the conflicting facts. So if um, Dr. Yamada knows knows that smoking will shorten the lifespan of his patients, but he's not encouraging them to quit, that's a little surprising. So why isn't Dr. Yamada encouraging his patients to quit smoking, even though he knows it will shorten their lifespan? I'm just trying to bring both of those facts together because sometimes the wrong answers will like actually strengthen just one of the facts in isolation. And people are tempted by that because they're like, which one of the following if true does the most to help explain the paradox above or the apparent paradox above. And they're like, Oh, this answer choice is nice because it helps explain something, but it, it really needs to help explain that thing and why it can coexist with this other thing. It like brings the two things together to some degree. Yep, yep. I, I like to think about it as you should be able to feel like a click. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's yeah. a satisfying explanation. I think this is the way I would always teach it, is that it's a satisfying explanation to the mystery. It's a satisfying solution to the mystery. So I think about it in two steps. students frequently miss the first step, Mm -hmm. which is understand what mystery you're supposed to be explaining. Yeah. Yeah. Right. If you can't formulate your why question, you're not grappling with the two things that are at odds with each other. Totally. So we're saying the same thing there. It's, it's step one. Why is this supposed to be a mystery? Like what is the puzzling thing that you're being asked to explain? Mm -hmm. And then step two you should feel that it's a satisfying explanation. I also encourage people to make predictions, not because they're going to predict exactly the answer, although sometimes they certainly will, but make a prediction about like, well, this maybe, maybe this is what's going on, you know, on the one hand Mm -hmm. this, but on the other hand that, Oh, well maybe here's why that's happening. Yeah, and then when and, and you feel that click of like, well, if that were true, then that would explain it. And then when you read the five answers, there's one of them that is similarly satisfying, even if it's not the exact answer you predicted. It's similarly satisfying, right? Yeah. Okay, that's paradox. Cool. Paradox. 
Last, well, okay, last one is uh, sufficient assumption at 5%. Yeah, sufficient assumption questions are the easiest questions, some of the easiest questions, I think, on the LSAT. Once mm-hmm. you know what you're doing, you should never, ever miss a sufficient assumption question. It's a huge opportunity. Yep. I don't care what your level is. You don't have to miss sufficient assumption questions. You, you can just stop that. So when you miss one, you know, you should be tough on yourself and like, and, and really dig in and make sure you understand it before you move on to another one. Sufficient assumption questions are about making the argument win. And you're going to be a lawyer. You have to know what a winning case feels like. It analogizes directly, doesn't it, Ben, to, to like, you know, if you were going to write a uh, motion for summary judgment, it's like, well, yeah. because of the law that clearly controls this case, and because of the facts, which are stipulated, <laughs> the facts are not in dispute, mm-hmm. this law and these facts means we win. Yeah. And you don't have to have a trial. You don't have to argue about it. You just go home. Mm-hmm. And that's what sufficient assumption questions are like. So they've given you some evidence. They've given you a conclusion. The evidence by itself right now does not prove the conclusion. But one answer, one missing piece will make the evidence plus that answer just force the conclusion to be true. Yeah. And the reason, so it's about making the argument win. That's my elevator pitch. Make the argument win and cover up the answer choices. It's so much easier if you cover up the answer choices. You have to be able to take facts and a desired conclusion and think about how to get from those facts to the conclusion. You should be able to tell them what the answer is instead of being passive and going through the five answers and hoping that the answer choices will explain it to you, you have to tell them what the answer is. Yeah. Well, and part of the reason for that is that like in a necessary assumption question, a strengthened question, a weakened question, a flaw question, you're dealing with arguments that have missing pieces, right? They're making assumptions. There's problems with the reasoning um, but because they're just asking you to strengthen it or weaken it, the correct answer may just go after one of those problems. But in a sufficient assumption question, the test raters are telling you, look, the correct answer is going to make this conclusion true. The argument's going to be valid once you are done adding this answer choice to the other premises in the argument. So that means that the argument itself has to be pretty good except for one problem. Um and you're just finding that problem and then fixing it. So, yeah, it, they they become formulaic oh, for that reason. It's super formulaic. It's it's just all you got to do is like plug it in. It's like you don't you don't need to understand how the whole shit works. <laughs> you just have yeah, to look yeah. at it and go, well, there's a cable. There's a loose end. This cable has to be plugged into something. Yeah. And then you look over here and it's like, oh, there's another loose cable. And if you look at the two, oh, they have, you know, one of them's male and one of them's female. Like they're, they're, they looks like they are going to plug. Oh, and then you just like can make it, you just connect it. Yeah. And then all the shit turns on and it's like, yeah, that's, that's what it feels like where it's, and it, I like that analogy actually, because you don't, 
it's it's sometimes the argument like the the terms of the argument don't necessarily even have to make sense to you you don't even have to understand what they're really talking about yeah it's just they've presented some things as facts and then they have this desired conclusion and the facts right now don't quite add up to the conclusion but you can usually predict like well there's something new in the conclusion that was never mentioned before Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and there's parts of the facts. There's one thing in the facts where it's like they mentioned this, but it's kind of just hanging there. It doesn't really yeah. connect to the, everything else. Oh, but they mentioned it in the conclusion or sorry, this random loose thread in the argument and this random loose thread in the conclusion. What if those two random loose threads were both in the correct answer? Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like you yeah. can, and you can predict, you can say, Oh, so this loose thread means this loose thread. Yeah. Let me let me reformulate it again. Okay. It a, a lot of times my prediction on a sufficient assumption question follows the pattern of if the evidence is true, then the conclusion is true. Yep. You don't even necessarily have to understand the evidence and you don't even necessarily have to understand the conclusion. It's just predict an answer that says if this evidence then this conclusion. Yeah. And if you find that in the answers, that's the answer. Yeah. Here, let me give you an example of that sort of disconnect. So let's say the LSAT gave us an argument that said, Joe owns a dog. Therefore, aliens will not attack this year. Okay. Yeah. You, perfect. You, you know, you're like, um, oh, okay, I don't even understand what just happened in that argument, but right. I do know as a fact that Joe owns a dog. Yep. And they're trying to prove that, therefore, aliens will not attack this year. Yep. So, one very possible answer is just simply if Joe owns a dog, then aliens will not attack this year totally it's an if then statement it connects the two some people might not like it because they're like i still don't understand how joe's ownership of a dog doesn't matter get to that conclusion you're like yeah we don't need to know why we just know that it will um and to take this a little bit further a sufficient assumption is just looking for any answer choice that will make the conclusion true even if that answer choice is not necessary so something that says if anyone owns a dog or even if anyone owns an animal of any sort then aliens will not attack this year that answer choice would work too because we say oh yeah. well i know that or Joe even broader than that yeah if anyone owns anything then no one will <laughs> attack yeah or if dogs exist then <laughs> then yeah then no then no one will attack or no if dogs will... exist then aliens don't exist yeah, then aliens don't exist. That would do it too, because if they don't exist, exist they can't yeah. attack. Yeah. But bottom line is, you don't need to understand why things are happening the way they're happening as long as they have to happen yep. uh, on the basis of the answer. Yeah. On the very hardest sufficient assumption questions, I think you literally don't understand the argument, or it doesn't, or the argument literally doesn't make sense. Yeah. But it doesn't matter because they've presented a bunch of facts. One of those facts usually is just kind of hanging there. It'll just mm-hmm. be like, well, what? They mentioned this once in the evidence, but it doesn't link to anything else. Mm-hmm. And then in the conclusion, there'll be a hanging element in the conclusion where it's like, what? Where did that come from? Aliens won't attack. Huh? And it doesn't. And then the argument, as you read it, it makes no sense. You're just like, Jesus Christ, what are they trying to? What? How, huh? How does mm-hmm. this possibly make any sense? Mm-hmm. 
But if it's a sufficient assumption question, the answer frequently follows the pattern of if the evidence is true, then the conclusion is true. And so you can just say, well, this hanging thing over here, it's true. I don't even know what it means, but it's true. Yeah. So if that's true, which it is, then the conclusion, I don't understand that thing either, but that's what we're trying to prove. So how about I predict an answer that says, if this thing in the evidence is true, then this conclusion has to be true. Yeah. And that'll be the answer like 99% of the time. Awesome. So to boil that all way back down to the elevator pitch, sufficient assumption questions, predict an answer that makes the argument win. There you go. I want to put predict an answer in there because I think it's just critically important. Yeah, People don't understand how easy they are. If you're not predicting an answer on that question type, you're not doing it correctly. You don't yes. understand what you're about to look at when you look at the yep. answers. Yep. Uh, I was just curious uh, what percentage of logical reasoning we have covered. We have just covered 77% of it. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's three-fourths. Um, the stuff that's left, if you're curious, are conclusion questions, role questions, reasoning questions, which are very similar, and then parallel reasoning. Wow, there's just not that many role and reasoning questions. Nope. Um, we, could do, we could do those real quickly, I think. I mean, mm-hmm. well, so main conclusion questions or just conclusion questions, what do they want? Nothing extra, though. Are we sorry? We're talking about conclusion questions. Conclusion, right yeah. I just want yeah. to do that real quick. Yeah, for these, a conclusion this is question. Like, I would consider this to be the easiest question type, maybe sure. in logical reasoning. It's like, hey, the they're telling you this. You just read an argument. Please tell us what the author of that argument was trying to prove. You, it's also yeah, it's super predictable. Yeah, you cover this up is the also answer choices. You have to find the answer beforehand. Yeah, like, so predict an answer. Yep. What do they want? Nothing extra. Because the, uh, they frequently will make wrong answers where, yeah, this is basically what they were saying, but we're going to state it. We're going to overstate it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? That's a good way for them to write easily. They can write tempting wrong answers on those question types by just amping it up. Just turn up the volume a little bit. Amp it up or take it to the next step. Right? They say like the yeah. conclusion is therefore if you cut down all these trees, animals will die. And then it's like, therefore you shouldn't, they never said that, but people are like, Oh, you shouldn't do this. And they, they kind of keep running with the argument, whereas they just need to put the brakes on and regurgitate the conclusion that was stated in the argument. Yeah. Like if the whole thing was a case about how, you know, Trump's a criminal, Mm -hmm. if they're, you know, the conclusion can be, maybe they, they did conclude that Trump's a criminal but then a wrong answer would be like, and therefore he should be imprisoned. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, well, hold on. I mean, may, maybe, but did they say anything about prison? Yeah. This speaker might be anti-prison as far as we know. You can believe that someone's a criminal without thinking that prison is the right solution. Yeah. Right. I mean, maybe he should be fined. Maybe he should get removed from office. Maybe he should, whatever other solution besides prison necessarily. Yeah. So just, you don't want to take you, 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 the, it's the right. It's, it's what they want, but nothing extra. Mm-hmm. And you should always predict that answer. Do you want to do role and reasoning? Sure. Role and reasoning are, are the two other question types that are similar to flaw in the sense that they give you five answer choices that describe 
something that's happening. So in a role question, they're just asking you, hey, what role did one of the claims in the argument play in that argument? In other words, was it a premise? Was it a conclusion? Was it something else? What role did it play? Yeah, and, and this that, is also one that I would predict. Totally. And But my prediction would be just that. Is it evidence or is it a conclusion or is it something else? And I, if it's something else, I would just start looking at the answer choices. But, but it's like 90% of the time, it's either evidence or it's a conclusion. Yeah, and then if it's evidence and you get down to two answer choices that describe evidence, then you just look at those answer choices and say, okay, is it evidence for this claim <laughs> or is it evidence for another claim? Uh, the description, just like flaw questions, has to describe exactly what that thing is doing in the argument. Uh, any any yep. part of that that's inaccurate is wrong. And that's just true for the test everywhere. Yep. The LSAT and test writers hate inaccuracy. Reasoning? Reasoning is just asking you, hey, describe to us how the author reasoned, how the yeah. author made, how the author justified their conclusion with their evidence. How okay, did they so, get to their conclusion? Oh, okay. My elevator pitch would be a little different though, because I want it to say, I, I want them to be thinking the correct answer is going to describe a thing that the author did. Sure. Sure. Not the correct necessarily answer may be incomplete. Mm -hmm. it, yes, exactly. That's the problem. I think people fall into this trap of thinking that the correct answer has to encompass the entire argument but it doesn't. All they're asking you is pick a thing that the author for sure did. Mm -hmm. And the correct answer can be like really lame. The correct answer can just be like, well, they used a word that started with the letter T. If they did use a word that started with the letter T, that's the answer. That's the answer. Yeah. Well, so for both of these question types, really, we can consolidate them into one elevator pitch, right? Does this answer describe something that happened in the argument? Yeah, but on role questions, they're specifically asking you about one tiny part of the argument, right? Yes. So it's like, did you can't they, just like look at another part? Yeah, <laughs> it's about this part of the argument. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Cool. And then the last uh, last thing then is just parallel reasoning and parallel flaw. You know, when you get good enough at all those other question types, then parallel reasoning and parallel flaw become really easy. For parallel flaw questions, is just match specifically the flaw. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many times people get caught up in technicalities on matching flaw questions. Sure. Where it's like, but dude, the argument confused sufficient for necessary and the correct, the answer that you're picking here did not confuse sufficient for necessary. Yeah. Maybe it's missing a premise. The original argument had three premises. This one only has two, but they're still doing the same. Let's switch these if-then statements without negating them or something like that. you got to think about the big picture first. Mm -hmm. On a magic flaw question, man, if they confused correlation for causation, then the correct answer is going to confuse correlation for causation. Yep. So start there. So matching flaw questions, I think about match your objection. Mm -hmm. I was able to object to this argument in this way. Like, hey, idiot, correlation does not mean causation. Or, hey, idiot, even if that correlation does mean causation, how do you know it's not the other way around? Mm, mm -hmm. Right? Then the correct answer has to have that exact same, you should be able to make that exact same flavor of objection where you're like, whoa, correlation doesn't mean causation. And how do you know it's not reversed? And then the matching flaw questions become really easy. Yeah. 
for matching pattern questions, that's tougher. That's probably the toughest type of question. I would, I, for most people, I think matching pattern is probably the toughest. Mm-hmm. One thing people don't realize is that there may actually still be a flaw. Yeah, sure. So the first thing I do on matching pattern questions is just a rough thumbs up or thumbs down on the logic. Yeah. Was it good logic? Okay, then we got to go find similar good logic. If it was bad logic, then the question's actually easier mm. because you've made an objection and then it just basically turns it into a matching flaw question. If they give you a matching pattern question where the argument is flawed, then the correct answer has to be similarly flawed. And mm-hmm. so all you have to do then is just go in and match the objection. If the argument's good, like did they prove their conclusion? Would you vouch for it? Are, did, like, does their evidence actually justify their conclusion? Because if it does, then you have to go find an answer where their evidence justifies their conclusion. Yeah. And just as well, right? Sometimes these things are like pretty good. There's still some problems, but like you're like, that's a pretty good argument. The correct answer is going to be pretty good as well. (laughs) They're going to be similar. Yeah. Yeah. If they proved it, then the correct answer is going to prove it. If it was pretty good, but not quite proven, then the correct answer is going to be pretty good, but not quite proven. Yeah. If it was flawed then the correct answer is going to be similarly flawed. I don't know if we have an elevator pitch. That's tough. That's there's a lot more to say about that, but like you said it's it's kind of the culmination of your skills in a lot of other question types, including yeah. role and reasoning and understanding structure as well as understanding flaw. I actually kind of like doing a lot of parallel reasoning questions at the end of class because it's like, look, now you're starting to understand some stuff. And if we do a bunch of these and you can see how these things are parallel, you're also just going to get better at other question types. Cool. Should we move on? Uh, that was all on uh, response to Kip's. Yeah, I'm sorry. That went so long. I would just say yeah, uh, we did forget. My bad. Uh, disagree. It's a, it's a somewhat, it's like 3% of the test and that's almost everything. Oh, agree. Well, so there's agree questions and there's disagree questions. Do you there have those are. all in one? Yeah, I put them all together in one. And the reason I did so is that uh, I searched for the agree questions in the in the database, and there's only six. Six total? Six total. So I was like, <laughs> yeah, uh, one, okay. <laughs> well, that's the same as must be false, right? Yeah. There's must be false questions we just lump into must be true. We can lump agree questions in with the disagree questions. With With disagree questions, it's I want a clear yes from one of the speakers and a clear no from the other speaker. Yep. Cool. And then obviously on agree questions, I want a clear yes from both speakers or a clear no from both speakers. Then they would agree on that fact. Yeah. There are questions where it says which one of the following is something that both speakers would agree with. You have to read carefully because it's like, are they, are we asking about what they agree Agree with each each other other on? Or are we asking which one do they both agree is true? Those are two different, you know, slightly different questions. Yeah. They can agree. If they both say no to it, then it wouldn't be the correct answer for something that they, where it says, which one do they both agree with? But they do agree with each other on it. So it could be the correct answer if it's asking you on which one of these do the authors agree. Anyway. Mm -hmm. Now we're getting into the weeds. Yeah. Well, at this point, we've covered 99% of logical reasoning. So I hope your scores all skyrocket to 99%. Yeah, that's all you need. (laughs) Well, thanks, Kip. Uh, I didn't know that was going to spawn such a discussion, but I hope it was useful for everybody. 
The next thing are notes from LSAX Live with Kelly and Ken. Jeez, this is so... (laughs) I feel like it's so cheesy. It's like they're trying to be like this like morning talk show, like live with... Oh, 100%. Did you see the graphic that they sent out with that? No, I didn't see it. I don't even want to see it. (laughs) No, there are emails that they send out when they invite people to this. It is very clear that they are making it like a morning show. You know, they've it's yeah, they're absolutely presenting it as a morning show <laughs> live with LSAX live with Kelly and Ken. Yeah. All right. Well, what did we learn from this? Do you know? I well, didn't look through this. It's it it was mostly a bunch of bullshit. We had a couple different people who wrote into the show about um this uh webinar that they did. Hmm. Um, they were trying to pimp, you know, they're just trying to pimp law school. It was a bunch of deans from like kind of (laughs) mediocre law schools. Yeah. Talking to these LSAC people and they were going off about how, you know, the notes that we have here, tech jobs are booming. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know what that has to do with lawyers. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) so don't go to law school. Yeah. Go to, (laughs) if you have any technical chops, maybe you want to do that instead. Mm -hmm. Um, there, you know, look at the second bullet. JD Advantage jobs are great and thriving. Yeah, that's shady. That's just well, like what? Okay, so you're conceding that <laughs> even if you don't go into the practice of law, you can do a JD Advantage job, which most likely you would not need a JD for. Actually, no, we know you would not need one. So uh, they're just admitting that they're. Hundred thousand dollar tuition, hundred thousand plus tuition was wasted. Yeah, if you're going to law school hoping to get a JD Advantage job, <laughs> that is just a real bad plan. That is not a good reason to go to law school. No, you, no. you should go to law school if you want to practice law. Yeah. Hmm. So the fact that they're, you know, well, I mean, hey, Ben Barton was very clear about that, right? Mm-hmm. Professor Ben. Yeah. From, from uh, University of Tennessee law was just like, yeah, JD advantage jobs are a scam. Schools are going to try to tell you that your JD will give you an advantage in hiring in all sorts of jobs. So, oh yeah, even if you don't end up practicing law, <laughs> but it's an acknowledgement that many of the people that go to these schools don't end up practicing law. Yeah. And it's telling given the panel that they had put together, right? Like you're looking at lower tier law schools. Yeah. What percentage of their graduates are going into JD Advantage? A high percentage. That's not good. That's a bad law school. Yeah. yeah. You you want I mean, you know, it's it's pretty clear. Good law schools send the bulk of their class into big law or federal clerkships. Mhm. JD required jobs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, or yeah, I mean, I guess you don't have to go to big firms, but I mean, you need to be your school needs to be sending people to law firms and to uh government jobs where it's practicing law though yeah like i don't care if you want to go to school to be a public defender or if you want to go to school to be a prosecutor sure there's lots of those jobs those are real lawyer jobs but if you don't if you don't want to do those and you don't want to work in a law firm then i think you don't want to go to law school yeah I mean, look, there might be some exceptions out there, like maybe on the Hill to get ahead, you have to have a JD, even though you don't, quote, technically have to. But you know that because you know the people's jobs you're trying to get and you know that they are telling you that you have to have a JD to yeah. to be considered. But that's 
those are the, the when they say JD advantage, I think that's what people are thinking of. But the reality is these schools are being misleading because a lot of these JD advantage jobs are anything that they consider, you know, oh, oh was, regional manager for the fucking Jiffy Lube. Yeah. It was you know? helpful to understand contracts, right? As you <laughs> managed a group of oil changers. <laughs> like, yeah. what if a contract issue came up? You could rely on your JD education. It's like, yeah, uh, okay. You could recognize. You could walk around the parking lot and recognize that that's a that's a slip and fall hazard. <laughs> I took torts. I know that that's a <laughs> stand back, Joey. That's a risk. <laughs> We better get one of those yellow cones out here stat because <laughs> I went to law school and I know that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's see. They, uh, they claim that we are back in the neighborhood of pre-recession of a pre-recession marketplace for jobs. And they claim that fewer people are going to law school. So they're trying to really pimp, you know, the idea that, Hey, jobs are, jobs are back. Maybe you know, that, it's true. It, I think that it does. It does. It does seem consistent with what uh, Professor Ben Barton was saying. He was saying, "Look, if you do want to go to law school, if you're looking for a JD required job, and you have the you know the LSAT and GPA to to go to a good law school, this is this is a good time to go because they're you know, giving the problem, money." Yeah. The problem with that is that it's like the legal. I think the legal uh, job market tends to sort of trail the. Um, trail like the stock market and the the economy generally mm. and we've had booming economy booming stock market mm. and so if people right now are starting to pile into law school because like this cycle it does seem like this cycle is more competitive there's been an increase in applicants mm-hmm. there's been an increase in top applicants mm-hmm. and so if law schools start like expanding their classes again then the people who are hearing this podcast now and trying to apply to law school in you know the, in September of this year to start law school next year, <laughs> by the time they graduate, they could be graduating into another bust. So, <laughs> I yeah, just, that's always a possibility, and that's know. why you got to go back to going for free, right? Like, right. If, if they are offering these scholarships, which I feel <laughs> like they are in a way that I did not you know, expect or see when I was applying to law school, leverage it. If you're not leveraging it, you're not taking advantage of the opportunity that's in front of you. Yeah. Just don't pay for law school. I mean, we got, we got an email today, this morning from one of our personal statement clients and she's got five offers from schools she's gotten into. And, you know, one of them offered her 53,000 a year. One of them offered her 45,000 a year. One of them offered her 40,000 a year. Those are near full rides. Mm-hmm. And you just need to be taking one of those offers. You just, you're so, it's just, you're foolish. If you don't, you, you got to get yourself a free ride to law school. It's God, too risky. That is so much money. I mean, really you want to get a full ride, but even if, even like, can you, I, I say it's so much money when I think about like, can you imagine not getting that and going? No, those are thousand dollars. Those are first offers year. too, Ben. I mean, those are just like that's what they've offered her. Just from they received her application and they immediately responded, 
hey, we'll give you $53,000 a year if you can stay in the top 50% of the class. Yeah, and so uh, she can counter and, and yeah. get more. I mean, gosh, it just if you went and you were like, oh, okay, it's all right, I'll just pay it. Like, if you haggle over beans at the grocery store, you're like, oh, should I get the store brand or should I get the name brand? <laughs> yeah, which you're everyone way- <laughs> does to some extent, right? People yeah. are, yeah, totally. You, you could buy all the beans you you want and have them catered to your house if <laughs> if you just let law schools knock off that money holy smokes it's just so much money yeah yeah people are like well i'm just uh i'll just have the regular coffee today i can't afford the double macchiato frappuccino whatever you know it's like yeah because you're gonna save a dollar 25 but meanwhile you're gonna plunk down sixty thousand dollars a year <laughs> for three yeah. years for law yeah. school when you don't have to yeah, or you you like go to a slightly better school because you're you're thinking, oh, I just can't go to this lower ranked school. It's like, yeah, I I don't know, is it worth worth one hundred and twenty grand plus interest? No, bird in the hand. Anyway, okay. Anything else? Well. Yeah, let's. They apparently they spent a lot of time talking about how law practice and law will change dramatically in the next ten or fifteen years because of tech. Mm. But they like really had no predictions about what that even meant. <laughs> it was just like, yeah, we don't know what's going to happen. And and I guess people that attended the webinar kept asking, like, well, what's going to happen to these jobs? Like, are lawyer jobs going to be replaced by AI? And they just kept saying it's going to, you know, things are going to change dramatically. Wow. We could have been on that panel. No shit. We don't. Yeah. Hey, we also I don't know anything. Guys, um, the world is changing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And again, it just like goes back to the safest thing you can do is just go for free. Yes. Yeah. It, it is totally possible that lots of these jobs, law firm jobs are going to get replaced by AI and better document handling and all that type of shit. Granted, and I think there's always going to be a, a job for people who yeah, yeah. are smarter, right? But like you said, if you go for free, then you're you have the flexibility to do whatever. Yeah. So we have there's echoes of some stuff. Some of these deans uh, mention stuff that we say on the podcast. Oh, they De- listen to the show. That's cool. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they listen to us. Dean Leslie, I, I don't know what school Dean Leslie is from, but said specifically to go on LinkedIn and network, which is a tip that. We uh, have talked about on the show before. Rachel Gezersay told us about you know people hustling for jobs before they even start law school. Okay, go on LinkedIn, use your networks. Uh, Dean Barros seems like doubling down. Said to emphasize the importance of creating a professional profile. I guess that's on LinkedIn. Networking. I guess that's on LinkedIn. And being wary of public loan forgiveness programs. Wow. Yeah. I'm surprised that they brought that up on this show because I think many of these schools rely on the uh, you know, uncertain promise of public loan forgiveness programs. Hmm. Those programs may or may not exist, y'all. You should not borrow the money in the first place. No. Just get a scholarship. Dean Hamilton said to check out the 509 reports and educate yourself on the schools you wish to attend. Also mentioned networking. And Dean Bleak. Bleak? 
B-L-I-E-K, bleak, huh. hmm. specifically said to do informational interviews. Okay, well, so they're, you know, these are like deans of middling law schools. And at least they're acknowledging that you're going to have to go out and hustle if you want to get a job. Cool. So that's good. Yeah. All right. Want to read this next uh, listener email? Sure. Hi, Ben and Nathan. I just recently discovered your podcast. Besides being helpful and informative, the podcast also adds some much-needed, quote, light to my gloomy LSAT studying days. Um, <laughs> by the way, I was telling my class last night to follow David Goggins on Instagram. Do you know David Goggins? The name's familiar. He's... um a Navy SEAL who basically came from a rough background. There was like, if you had met him when he was a kid, there's no way you would have thought he'd become a Navy SEAL, let alone an ultra marathoner and all this other stuff that he does today. And, you know, he, he has a lot of F bombs in his IG posts, but he's just like, you know, fuck it. Like if you have excuses, here's why you just need to do what you need to do. And so I was telling my class, I'm like, just read one of his Instagram posts every morning. And like, you'll be like, okay, like I need to stop like crying about the test and just go do this work anyways. So I don't know who, who is this by the way, this is N and um, you say you have gloomy LSAT study days. Maybe just follow him on Instagram and just, and people will be confused. They're like, is he working out? He's always working out as he posts, but <laughs> that's irrelevant. His his posts are actually about like just get get your act together. Stop waiting for your you you know, everything to feel right and good. Just do it. So Okay. Anyways, he continues or uh, and continues. I am trying to figure out if the LSAT demon is right for me. I'm currently a senior at GW with a 3.95 GPA. Nice. I'm not looking to apply in the 2020 admissions cycle, but I'm hoping to finish studying taking the LSAT before starting my full-time job in July. I started studying in August of 2019 using power score books and so on. I did not like them. I then signed up for an in-person test master's class. My first diagnostic was a 150, and by the end of the course, I was getting around 165 to 167 on my practice tests. Okay, great. Good nice place progress. to be. Yep. Yeah. I took the November test in D.C. I did not end up scoring as well as I would have liked. Logic Games is my strongest section, and I got a minus one on that section on the November test. Okay. So that wasn't your problem, clearly. Minus yep. one, whatever. Okay. I desperately need to work on my reading comprehension as well as LR. I do not want to extend my access to Testmaster's online course as I feel I've exhausted that resource. I want a new approach, but I prefer but preferably one that can complement the base knowledge I gained from Testmaster's rather than leave me confused due to conflicting terminology and methods of teaching. No, that like if anything, we are explaining these things as intuitively as possible. So, yeah, don't don't worry about that. Um, Testmasters, in my mind, is is 
going to actually leave you more confused with yeah. the whole numbering <laughs> you're, system. You're and, already as confused as you're going to be <laughs> if you took test masters. Like the, I'm glad your score went up, so that's good. Yeah, uh, well, they, I mean, hey, he worked hard. He did a whole bunch of actual LSAT questions. Of course you're going to improve. Yeah. But you didn't improve because of their whole like semantics with type 2E and all that bullshit. Like, what, Basically, what we're going to do is tell you to ignore all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to give you terminology that conflicts. We're just going to tell you that all of their semantics doesn't really do anything. Yeah. Okay. Would you recommend the LSAT demon to me? Uh, yeah, we're biased, but yes. I mean, gosh, for LR and reading comp and for games, but for both of those, especially LR, you just you sit there on your phone and it figures out what level you're at. So if you're doing well, um, but not as well as you'd like to, it's going to start giving you questions at your skill level and it's going to keep throwing them at you and until you get them right. And every time you get them wrong, you see an explanation from me or Nathan or both of us. If there's a question you have, you just hit the ask button. Our explanations are so much better. Like our explanations make sense. (laughs) You're going to read our explanations or watch our videos and you're going to feel the click of like, Oh, Oh, that's all they were asking. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's it's fairly straightforward. This might have been a hard one, but there's a clear path to the correct answer. And it doesn't really have anything to do with fancy methods or strategies or you know terminology or whatever. It's just like, no, commonsensically, here's what they were asking you. This is why the answer answers the question. That's the answer. Yeah. Do the demon. Do it for a month and see what you think. Yeah. I mean, there's a seven-day free trial. So really, you shouldn't even take our word for it. You should do the seven-day free trial, work your ass off for seven days, and see what you think of it. Yep. But in a month or two, I think you could definitely make make progress. And you can join the extra help sessions if you want to. Uh, take the virtual proctored test with a live proctor. Um, a lot of things you can do. I don't know what's yeah. in Testmaster's online course, but we keep throwing shit in there (laughs) that's not necessarily promoted but in any case uh and continues i'd like to score at least a 170 in april which is when i plan to retake the test my gpa is good and i'm hoping with a good lsat score i can get into a t14 yeah school yeah your gpa is great that's not going to hold you back so nice um by the way p.s my english is my third language i moved to the u.s from sweden in 2016 for college although i'm now a citizen i had never lived in an english-speaking country before that's simply to say that rc has been especially hard for me as a non-native speaker i know nathan has a a strong dislike for long emails but i promise i tried to edit this down as much as possible without removing necessary information um yeah you could have cut that whole last paragraph. Yeah. I mean, any, <laughs> <laughs> you you no. have ways to go. I, you, you know, but that's just something you got to keep working on. So as an attorney, you'll get plenty of opportunities to cut shit down. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, Ann. I would say yes. Sign up today. Check out the free trial. That's LSATdemon.com. Hit the ask button and get a response from Nathan telling you how much he liked your short question that you asked him. <laughs> well, I mean, if you like our style, if it feels like we're making sense, then the demon is the only choice for you. If you don't like our style, then I don't know why you're still listening to this podcast. The demon is not the right choice for you. But if it feels like we are, yeah, if it feels like we're speaking to you in a way that you can understand, 
then I hope you will trust us that the demon is the best thing you can possibly do for your LSAT studying. Yeah. You'll either love it or hate. I mean, with me, it's like, listen, just do the seven day free trial. You're either going to love me or hate me in the first half hour. (laughs) So that's fine. If it's not for you, it's not for you. But if, if you know, if you're amused and if it does feel like it's helpful, then I think that we are the best you can possibly get. Yep. All right. Next one. It's a question about part-time law school. Dear Ben and Nathan, hello. I am a bioengineering major graduating from Redacted in the spring of 2020. Upon exam, upon graduation, I hopefully will be working for the United States Patent and Trademark Office as a patent examiner. I have a few questions with regard to part-time law school, the government paying for law school, which law schools to research patent law, and finally, lower engineering GPA. Oh, okay. One, what are your opinions on working full-time while pursuing a law degree part-time, say, at George Washington? Ben? I actually think that working while pursuing a part-time program is a smart move. It means your foot is in the door. You're guaranteed to have a job. Uh, You're keeping those connections alive. I mean, not guaranteed, but like you're doing law-related work. It's very natural for you to graduate and then say just move up in the very place that you're working so yeah i mean your course load can be a little heavy but you tend to be with more uh, older uh part-time students and they tend to be more serious and just kind of get down to business i I think it's a smart move i think it's a smart move too i have no problem with it It, yeah it's going to be a grind but if you don't want to grind, then you just don't want to go to law school, period. So, it, yeah, you're going to be devoting your life to your legal career. Um, and good. Good on you. Like, that's that's what you're doing. So, sure, do it. Number two, if the government will help pay for 50% of law school, is the degree worth paying for half of school? Is that uh, a listener? No. no. Yeah, it's not worth it. Don't <laughs> don't pay fifty percent for law school. Our, we we say don't pay for law school, and we mean it. Don't pay for law school. You don't have to. There's too many scholarships out there. Just get a scholarship. Number three, what law schools do you recommend for patent law, and is it worth getting a degree within patent law? Uh, there's a plenty. To, there's okay. I'm not an expert in the legal market for patent attorneys. Nor but am I. Um, I did teach a class at the USPTO for a year, uh, LSAT class, and talking to the all the people who are working at the USPTO, it sounded like there is a huge backlog of patents and they need patent attorneys. And it, it just sounded to me like if you have the chops, because keep in mind, patent attorneys usually come with a background in science. And yep. so you're dramatically reducing the number of attorneys who can actually go into this field. And that natural barrier, I think, you know, um, makes it more likely that yeah. you can get a job, especially Absolutely. when you consider that the tech world is apparently booming. Like there's plenty of work for like technical attorneys. And that's what patent attorneys for are. For sure. Yeah, I 100% definitely keep going down this path. You can be a patent examiner while you're in law school. 
many law schools have special programs for people who are patent examiners. Uh, in Northern California, I would definitely check out Santa Clara. I know people who have technical backgrounds who have gone to Santa Clara Law School before. It's the type of school that you can get a scholarship from, and they are right in the middle of Silicon Valley, and they do have programs for patent attorneys. So, yeah, I mean, cast your net widely. Make sure you apply to 15, 20 schools. But, uh, yes, absolutely. Do it. Number four, I have a 3.3 GPA. Will I still be a competitive candidate if I do well on the LSAT, Ben? Uh, yes, um, that will hold you back from some of the top programs, but um, you can still go for free at many grade schools. Absolutely. You can get a full ride to Santa Clara with a 3.3 um, if you get the right LSAT score. That's that's the really important thing is that you know that 3.3 in bioengineering, if you show up with a 170, they're going to be like, oh, shit, this guy's a badass. You know, because mm-hmm. bioengineering, they know that bioengineering is hard. Maybe you could write a very short addendum pointing out the fact that you were a bioengineering major and that 3.3 is actually a good GPA yeah. for people in your major. But if you try to tell that story with a 160, they're going to be like, hmm, I don't know. Maybe you're just that kind of advocate. <laughs> yeah, that's a mediocre LSAT score with a mediocre GPA. They're just like, oh, well, yeah, whatever. But if you show up with a 170 and a 3.3, then they're going to go, oh, wow, that's a 98th percentile LSAT score. Um, hmm, maybe we should look a little closer at this you know, person with a technical degree um, who's, al- who's wanting to be a patent examiner or already a patent examiner. Uh, yes, I- you will be a very competitive candidate. Just to be clear, I don't know that I would describe a 160 as mediocre, but it's certainly not as good as it could be if you're looking at these better schools. I would describe a 160 as mediocre. If that's the best score you can get, I think you should seriously consider whether law school is the right choice for you. I, I 160 for me is like the sort of minimum. I don't think law school is probably the right choice for you if you're not getting a 160 or higher. Okay. <laughs> we can uh, agree to disagree on that, I guess. Well, I you're don't... not getting a scholarship at very many schools with a 155. I mean, I... It, oh, I'm not it, excited about a 155. I'm just saying I don't know that a 160 is mediocre. I, I'm not saying it's great either. Um, I'm just saying I, I think that you can can go to school and um, go for free. Whereas, yeah, if you're going below 160, then then I think that's... That's if you can go mediocre. Well, yeah. No matter what your score, you should go for free. So, you know, if you can go for free with a 155, fine. Um, but you know, I just uh <laughs> I don't 160 is not impressing really anybody. So maybe we're arguing about what the word mediocre means. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. <laughs> just be cautious, right? Yeah. For cool. sure. No matter what your score, yeah, definitely be cautious. Next email. Hey guys, I'll get straight to it. Okay, cut that. I graduated from... (laughs) If you're going to get straight to it, (laughs) go ahead and get straight to it. All right. Yep. I graduated from Redacted in May 2019 with a 3.29. I majored in international studies with a minor in Redacted and was also in a student athlete. Oh, I was also a student athlete. (laughs) Wait, who is this? Spencer continues, that's likely superfluous information, but I feel it contributed to my low GPA in some ways. Okay. Since graduating, I've been working as a paralegal at an AMLAW 100 firm 
uh, and I'm finally sure of my decision to to attend law school in the fall of 2021. I recently began a test master's course and scored a, an abysmal 150 on my initial diagnostic. That's not uh, abysmal, dude. No. A lot of people are starting in the mid-140s uh, so and can make quite a run with that. That's a solid... You got to change your like self-talk, I think, with, with regard to the LSAT. Starting at 150 is totally fine. We, we see people every year go from 150 to 170. So that's not abysmal. At all. It is it is mediocre though. It's definitely. <laughs> hey, if if it were your best score, if that was your final score, it would be below mediocre. Yeah, oh, uh, for sure. Yeah, that would be. But I would still wouldn't even say it would it's be abysmal. abysmal. No, if it would just be like you're a normal person, like not a lawyer, if that were your final score. But if if that's your starting score, that's a totally fine starting score, and you can. Definitely rise above mediocrity. Yeah. All right. Spencer continues, I know that in order for me to gain admission to the vast majority of my target schools, all top 50 for the most part, I will need an exceptional LSAT score to offset my subpar GPA. I'm registered for the April administration. Hmm. By the way, Spencer, you put that in parentheses. You could just put that as a new sentence. (laughs) That said... My initial diagnostic score has me feeling incredibly discouraged. Yeah, Do you get have, over it. Yep, get over it. Uh, follow David Goggins. Do you have any advice for someone in my position? Am I naive for thinking I still have a chance? I'd be very grateful for any advice you might have. Um, feel free to read my question on the show, blah, blah, blah. Spencer, I think we've already answered your question. Don't yep. stop worrying about it. Start studying. And just honestly, this is true for everyone. Every time you sit down to study, don't give a shit about your score. Focus on what you learned as you sat down to study. Did you sit down and do a game and learn something from it? People sometimes say, I just did a game and I couldn't do it and it didn't make sense. And I'm like, okay, that's true for pretty much everyone else. Did you watch the video? Yes, I did. Did it make sense? Yeah, it made sense after I watched it. Great. That's learning. You're learning. That's all you need to do. That's your job right now is to keep the ball moving forward. It's not about your score. It's all about are you learning something every time you sit down to study? And I hope you're studying every day, six days a week. There you go. Yeah. Uh, One hour every day goes a long way. Um, Spencer, this is just one data point, and it's not even a bad data point. So fix your uh, self-talk and get to work. Yeah. All right, we have Sean's personal statement. Let's do it. Sean, I hope you know what you're getting into. Is it my turn? It is. This is the portion of the show where we read someone's personal statement and basically rip the shit out of it. We do this out of love. Uh, we're trying to help you present the best document you can. Um, is it out of love or self-entertainment? <laughs> Both. okay (laughs) all right here we go farsi is a beautiful complex lyrical language that has evolved drastically over thousands of years cut ridiculous ben thinks it's ridiculous yeah you want to elaborate i i do not care what you think about farsi i do not care about farsi itself i want to know about you and 
Um, the last thing I want to hear about is how a language has evolved drastically over thousands of years. By the way, that's true for every language. It has to be true of every language. So that's, yeah. Unless it's that. dead, right? Yeah. That point definitely doesn't need to be made. You know, if you just look at the construction here, the verb of the sentence is is. Mm-hmm. You got to watch out for these forms of the verb to be because it's just pure telling. You're you're asking, you know, you're telling me a conclusion about Farsi. Your sentence is Farsi's the subject, is is the verb. What is it? Oh, well, it's beautiful, complex, and lyrical. Yeah, okay, in your judgment. Like what evidence do you have of that? It's not <laughs> it's a misguided topic to even be talking about, but it's also telling. Mhm. So, yeah, we're going to cut that entire sentence. Yep. Okay. When I joined the army in 2013, I had only 329 days to become fluent in the language. What? Interesting. I like this a lot better. I like this a lot better, but I'm still a little perplexed. Like, okay, like I guess you had an assignment that you had to learn Farsi. Uh, yeah, okay. and but I mean, so now you're telling me something about you. Like, there's mm-hmm. there's two facts here. In fact, if you just take those two sentences and you re and you just combine them into when I joined the army in 2013, I had only 329 days to become fluent in Farsi. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, shit. Okay, <laughs> that's a fact about you. I've learned that you joined the army, and I've learned that you learned Farsi in less than a year. Yeah. What do we think about the 329 days? I, I I guess actually that's probably what I'm reacting to. I I don't like the specificity. Um, I think it should it just say less than a skeptical. year. Yeah, I would say that. It, that's I think that's what I was initially reacting. I was like, what? Like, I, I you signed up, and I guess you had a, a send off date, and you like calculated that date. I, I would just like bottom line here. Yeah, you had a limited time amount. Facts of Facts are good, but that's annoyingly specific. Yeah, and it makes me think that it's made up. Or like you looked back at the calendar yeah, you look, and calculated like, like you the thought 300. that when you signed up. You're like, oh, I have 329 days. I mean, some people do that, but realistically, you probably just thought, oh, okay, by December when I am sent away, I have to know Farsi or at least. Okay, something. so third draft. When I joined the Army in 2013, I had less than a year to become fluent in Farsi. Boom. That's good. Yeah, that'd be awesome. And then mm-hmm. it's like, I'm, now the next thing, though, you have to now tell me. Who is this? Sean. Sean, you better tell me why you had to learn Farsi. Yep. Farsi, uh, but Sean instead says, this impossible seeming task became my greatest opportunity for personal growth and it changed how I learn and overcome obstacles. Okay, this is problematic for several reasons, but one is it's just telling. You're just telling us that it's your greatest opportunity for personal growth. And it changed how I learn and overcome obstacles. Uh, okay, anyone could say that in any personal statement. Uh, but I think this is also problematic because you're telling us that it's impossible seeming, whereas you already gave us some facts that suggest that. So why kind of shove that conclusion in our face? Yeah, exactly. I don't, you just said you had to learn Farsi in less than a year. Let that do the work for you. Mm hmm. It's I like don't you need ruined. you to then <laughs> tell me how impossible it seems. Like I, what do you think? I thought it was easy. Yeah, it, people just need to let the facts speak for themselves. Mm-hmm. They they feel I, 
I don't know. It's because of their seventh grade te- writing, you know, instruction where it was always like, you're going to, you're going to make your conclusion and then you're going to give facts and then you're going to make your conclusion again. We can mm-hmm. just cut out all those conclusions and just stick to the facts. The f- powerful facts are <laughs> like, obviously you learned Farsi in less than a year. <laughs> of course, yeah. that's an impossible seeming task. And of course it's an opportunity for growth. And it says and, so much about you. Like if that was your only sentence, I joined the army and I had to learn Farsi in less than a year. And I'd actually really like to know. I, I, I almost think that if we were to work on this personal statement, we might end up rephrasing that sentence is not, I had to do this, but I did this right. I, uh, after I joined the army in 2013, I took a year, I spent a year and learned Farsi or something, or I learned Farsi in a year. I don't know exactly, but I guess I like to see more what people have done rather than what they, quote, have to do, unless that becomes the focus of the statement. And then it's like, oh, damn, you learned Farsi in less than a year? Cool. Like, I know that you work hard because you're in the Army and you're intelligent because you just did something that's intellectually challenging. Yeah. Cut out all of this. This first paragraph, there's one, two, three sentences, but there's just so many adjectives and so much, so many conclusions and the, it all boils down to you join the army and you learn Farsi in less than a year. And that's awesome. Yep. Like more like that. Stick to that shit. <laughs> and it'll be very powerful by itself. Mm-hmm. All right. It continues. This is a new paragraph now. I like uh, Sean's got the short paragraphs going on. That's good. Yep. That is good. Nice. Uh, and also got some reasonably short sentences. So Sean's a really a pretty good writer. He's a good writer. Clear. Just wrong message for some yeah. of these sentences. Okay. I joined the army to learn another language, but I didn't get to choose which one. Mm. I pictured a familiar language that I could use in both a professional and personal capacity, like French. I imagined myself immersed in Parisian culture, exploring the city and conversing with locals. When I received my orders, I was shocked to discover that instead I'd be learning Farsi, a difficult and complex language with which I had no familiarity. So I would get rid of this entire paragraph. I think it undercuts his, like, it's almost like, oh, you had this hard task that you had to do and you had nothing to do with the decision to take on this challenge. I mean, you had a little bit of a of the decision. You decided you wanted to learn another language. Um, I'd rather just not know this. I'd rather just assume that you joined the army and somehow... And it, you know, chose something that led to you learning Farsi. I would assume that you actually chose Farsi. I wouldn't know that that was forced upon you, but I don't want to know that it was an accident or. Yeah, an it looks like thing. this is almost going to be the whole theme of the of the piece. Um, Uh-oh. New paragraph. My first introduction to the reality of what I'd gotten myself into came the day my classmates and I picked up our textbooks. An older woman in a wool sweater handed me a foot high stack that I struggled to haul back to my classroom. I don't, I don't care about any of this. Yeah. I mean, also who gives a shit if it's a man or a woman who cares if she's older or younger, who cares what she's wearing? Like an older woman in a wool sweater handing you a stack of books. Why do I give a shit? Yeah. Um, those are just for first semester. She said, (laughs) there's more. I thought, incredulous Ugh. Ugh. that's i that just made me like i think i threw up in my mouth a little bit 
Like that's just, man, the, the, the use of incredulous there, Ben is just, it's so heavy handed. Hmm. It just makes me cringe. It's like, we get it. We get it. You didn't think you'd be learning Farsi. You're amazed at the foot high stack of books. You're actually just like undercutting all your, like, if, if, if your statement had been one sentence, uh, I joined the army and then I learned Farsi in less than a year, we'd be like, damn. You're in. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's who's all this? I need and to now know. it's like, oh, <laughs> oh my God, it was so hard. Can you believe this? I didn't know what I was getting into. It was and a then, foot high stack oh of books. I like, was incredulous. <laughs> like, ugh. Now you don't look like a badass getting shit done. You look like someone who was kind of foisted into this situation. <laughs> yeah. Like now you're going back and whining about your own achievement. It's uh, like, yeah, you're to- I agree. I think you're totally undercutting your whole own story here. And then that use of incredulous, uh, listen, to be clear, you are a good writer, but right there, that was some shit that my seventh grade niece does in her writing. Mm-hmm. where she just overly she just uses too many adjectives and too many adverbs and she's just telling it's just you're telling me that you're incredulous instead of presenting facts where i would infer that you are incredulous mm-hmm. okay my first days of class illustrated the challenge ahead of me mm-hmm. so again with the impossible seek seeming task and again with like look how big of a challenge this was we already fucking know that you're learning Farsi. That's enough. We know Farsi's <laughs> not like <laughs> you can allow me An to assume European language this is difficult. Yeah, maybe yeah. it is. I don't know what it is, but it's not like well, a, it's not like here, Spanish, right, or French. Yeah. Here comes it. some facts. Okay, so okay. if you just cut that sentence, that sentence is really annoying. My first days of class illustrated the challenge ahead of me. Get rid of that. That's a conclusion. I don't want that. But you can stick to this stuff. Farsi uses a different alphabet written from right to left, including sounds unfamiliar to native English speakers. Well, these are facts, but I don't feel like they advance the argument because I already know that Farsi is hard as shit, right? Like we've yeah. all seen the news and I'm it's willing like to convoluted characters. I'm, I'm willing to grant a few facts about Farsi. Uh, that's like as long as it's a fact and and without all of the describing i don't i don't want sorry describing is not the right word without all of the editorializing and conclusions and whining as long as it's just factual i'm fine so okay. it's a different yes okay good you can tell me that it's hey the fact that it's written from right to left i didn't know that so what uh, you knew it was hard I did know it was hard. That's true. The language boasts grammatical structures that differ wildly from English. Yeah, I assumed that was true. <laughs> Learning Farsi. Oh, my God. Not again. Learning Farsi would have been a formidable challenge in any situation. Oh, geez. <laughs> but my compressed timeline multiplied the difficulty. Sorry, I was reading ahead. Oh, so it's really fucking hard. We already knew all this yeah. from that one sentence. I agree. It, totally. This whole. Yep. So that's the whole first. Man, I'm going to have to do a word count here. So everything we've read so far is um, 239 words. And you really could cut that down to that one sentence. When I joined the army in 2013, I had less than a year to become fluent in Farsi. Yeah. 
you let all that's a that's the big fact and you just let that one big fat fact just work for its work <laughs> do its work <laughs> it's a very powerful fact mm-hmm. and you're now you're just like burying it in a bunch of honestly it just sounds like it comes off as just like crying about it yeah oh boy oh boy no all right next paragraph the stakes were incredibly high that's that's telling dude you're using to be as the verb were is the is the verb you're using an ly adverb he already used wildly now he's using incredibly those are both ly adverbs you're you know incredibly there is modifying the adjective high the stakes were high not how high oh incredibly high well, well, hold on a second. I mean, so then like what you do is you trigger the natural skeptic in the reader, right? The, like, cause I'm now going, Oh really? What was going to happen? You were going to die. Are they going to hold you back? Are you going to be tortured? Go? <laughs> Are you going to lose your house? Are you going to, is something going to happen to your kid? Is this, is this fate of the nation hanging on this? Whether you learn Farsi or not? I mean, what? <laughs> Okay, so the stakes were incredibly high. Ooh, semicolon. Semicolon. Okay, revoked. Sorry. Well, we'll see. We'll see. I think they're gone. I'm. I just. <laughs> we'll see. The stakes. <laughs> ben, Ben's feisty today. The stakes were incredibly high. Failure to learn Farsi would force me into an unwanted job for the next six years. Oh God, forbid. Or even end my military service prematurely. You know. That's that's high stakes for you, Sean. No one else gives a shit about that. If you left the military and did something else, that's not incredibly high stakes. That's you decided not to stay in the military. You agree with that, don't you, Ben? Oh, yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay. Even with tremendous resources at my disposal, I struggled with self-doubt. Mm, this is not good. No, it's not. I don't care about this. Like, I don't want to hear about angst. Mm-mm. We got enough angsty motherfuckers around. Like, we want winners. We want killers. Tell me about how you learned Farsi in less than a year and then went out and kicked ass with it. Yeah. What was your What was the need? What were you filling, and what did you use it for once you got out into the field? Or maybe? Oh, geez. I hope we don't find out he didn't do it. But oh boy. That would be a disaster. <laughs> I had to learn it, but I didn't. Oh, well. Yeah. Or I had to learn it, and then I just, we didn't do anything with it. Like, that's not, I don't want to hear about that. I want to hear about you kicking ass in your job. Like, you learned Farsi in less than a year, and then you went somewhere and you did something with it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, yeah. we don't, I'm not, nope. Um, okay. So even with tremendous resources, you're struggling with self-doubt. And it's just, that's got me thinking like, oh yeah, this person's going to be whining all the way through law school. Here's a stack of legal tomes, by the way. Welcome oh to my your God. first semester. Yeah, that foot high stack of books is going to be replaced with a three foot high stack of books and <laughs> LexisNexis and Westlaw. Yeah. And okay. Every day I had seven hours of classroom instruction, three hours of homework, two hours of self-study, and military responsibilities such as physical training and guard duty. Twelve hours of studying a day, Ben? 
It's a lot. It's a lot. 12. Yeah, 12. Hmm. Makes the reader skeptical. Yeah. You're really doing this the whole time? Hard to believe. It is hard to believe. I mean, hey, learning Farsi in a year, though, is a big task. So, and I, you know, army people work their asses off. Um, I just, I don't like what's coming next, though. Okay. Even so. Sleep deprived and still struggling to understand core concepts. I felt overwhelmed. We can just go ahead and say feelings are canceled, right? In personal mm-hmm. statements, we don't care what you felt. We don't care what you thought. We care what you did. Yep. I watched as other students succumbed to their own self-doubt. Oh, no. This is going to be like, people couldn't make it, but I did. Two spaces there after that sentence. Yeah, three. Chink in the armor. Yeah, okay. Some lacked the ability to learn Farsi, but others lacked the self-belief and conviction necessary to succeed. <sighs> all telling yeah i I, you know we could boil this down to two sentences maybe like i'm down with i learned farsi in less than a year when i joined the the army um i think if you wanted to describe what that year was like with the you know 12 hours of study a day i think you could keep that it's you know i i I think i would be willing to believe you but you got to get pretty quickly to like and then here's what happened after sure But instead, you're just like, you're writing your whole personal statement about this, how difficult it was. You're languishing in the suffering. Yeah. And now that's what we're seeing. That's what we're seeing. We're like, our minds are visualizing you feeling overwhelmed, doubting yourself, struggling, not getting enough sleep. You're focusing on the whining part. Like, I want the winning. Mm -hmm. I want the winning, not the whining. That's our new phrase. <laughs> okay. You have to show, not tell, and you have to win, not whine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Perfect. My turning point came as I developed a strong connection with Persian culture. I read the history of the Persian Empire. Through poets like Rumi and Hafez, I gained a deeper appreciation for a language and culture that span thousands of years. To be effective in my job, I realized, I needed the ability to communicate cultural and linguistic nuance to others. I'd so much rather hear what that job is. I, like, mm-hmm. What job are you trying to get? What are you going to do with this? What good is this going to do? I don't need you to be name dropping Rumi and Hafez and talking about the <laughs> glorious history of the Persian Empire. I, <sighs> reinvigorated. I I doubled my efforts and left doubt behind me. Oh, God. I sought extra instruction after class. On weekends, I ran miles of California coastline with classmates speaking only Farsi. (laughs) (laughs) Why are you laughing? I don't know. It just seems like a try hard. <laughs> something. I don't know. It just like does not work. After this is what happens it. when you oversell. <laughs> yeah. You know, you just, you invite the reader. We are naturally skeptical, man. You earlier said that you were doing 12 hours a day verse of just class homework and self-study. And now you're running. Well, you just then said you doubled your efforts. <laughs> So, because uh, I, I I can count, so I added up your twelve hours, and but now you doubled your efforts. You said you had twenty four. So that's at twenty four hours now. 
you know, <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's too min. It's too, it's too much selling. It's too, it's overselling. It's you know, what's m- interesting. Is there some, yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, like some of these facts could actually really come across as powerful. Totally. If they were presented just a little bit toned down. So for example, we go back to your first sentence. When I joined the army in 2013, I had a year to learn Farsi to, you know, I, I don't know, to, to make this process easier or to overcome some of the hurdles. I decided to study Persian culture as well. That gave me an appreciation for the language. And then you move on and it's kind of like, Oh, this person saw that this would be challenging and this is how they solve the problem. They're, they're doing more than just learning the language. They're, they're really getting into this. And then I'd like to see how that was helpful in your job. So I could see a fact like this actually kind of adding to you as a person right now, though, in the context of all this other stuff, I'm already just like jaded and it's not working for me. Yeah. It, that's what happens when you put too when you have too many conclusions. Mm-hmm. You you make the reader naturally resist you instead of if you would have just presented facts, my I wouldn't have been rolling my eyes. Like you could even get to the ran, running miles of California coastline yeah. with your classmates if the rest of it had been presented more humbly. And, the fact and that just not as much, right? Like if we just yeah. said like, hey, to to sort of kind of reach our goal to finish within a year. Uh, I decided to speak only Farsi with my running. Yeah. Mates. It's like, yeah. oh, that's smart. But now, yes, yeah. we had to run because of this requirement or whatever. And so we decided that we would just speak only Farsi while we were doing. Now you sound like a fucking killer. Yeah, that's like holy shit. Yeah, wow, that seems that's amazing. You know, and and I can picture you. I actually like that detail of you running on the coast and speaking Farsi. I actually really like that detail, but I hate it because of all the other stuff you've said here. That's just too much selling me on how, Oh my God, what a big drama. (laughs) Right. And the reality is Sean, I bet you are a killer. You just need to like reframe this. Yeah. Yeah. Because we need the winning, not the whining. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. Only two more paragraphs left after 47 weeks and nearly 1,500 hours of instruction. I don't really care about that. It's passive activity anyways. I was ready for the final exam, the defense language proficiency test. With a quote from Rumi about the power of a positive outlook playing on a loop in my mind, <laughs> I walked into the testing center. <laughs> Mm. I hate this. I hate this drama vignette. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to know about your internal dialogue. I don't want the phrase in my mind ever. <laughs> and I don't want quotes from Rumi. I mean, I, I understand. I thank you for sparing us the actual quote from Rumi. Mm. But I don't even want to know that you had a quote from Rumi about the power of a positive <laughs> outlook in your head. Like, listen. You did you pass the test or what? Yeah, you're over dramatizing this whole thing. It's just too much. You're making me doubt everything you've said previously with this over dramatizing this moment of this exam. Six hours later, I stumbled out <laughs> mentally drained. We don't need to know that. 
Two weeks later, I strode across the graduation stage near the top of my class. Oh, this is so weird. It's like an allusion to the idea that I succeeded without actually saying it. Like, you're going to boast about all this stuff, but you're not going to say I passed the test? Well, we knew he was going to pass the test from the very beginning. Like, he's just overselling the drama of this of this test was like, dude, you learn. we know that you, there's no way you're telling us the story and the punchline is going to be, you didn't learn Farsi. Yeah. So we don't like, yeah, I, Hey, I believe you that this was a dramatic moment, but you know, ultimately what you're talking about here is like, you're telling me the story of some test you took. That's it. And how, how you stumbled out of it. Like <laughs> you're going to take so many exams in law school then the bar exam, you're going to, but it's like, I don't know. It's just making me sound, It's like making me think that you're going to be overly dramatic about all the shit that happens in law school. Mm-hmm. I don't know. All right. Last paragraph. Although it's been several years since my experience as a language student at DLI, the lessons I learned there remain. Telling. Yeah. Like what lessons? <laughs> I don't know what lessons you're talking about. Keeping positive outlook, quotes, yeah. looping in your mind. I have instilled within myself a strong sense of discipline and learned the importance of an effective routine. You know what? I knew tell that him. about you the second you said army. Yeah. You don't need to tell us that. It actually undercuts what you're trying to say, and anyone could have written this. Anyone. I have come to accept and even appreciate the nuance and ambiguity in life be it in language or the law. Oh, fuck no. Okay, first of all, you're talking... Oh, man. <laughs> you I don't mean, have standing to make that claim. Like you, No, you don't. <laughs> the law? What? Whoa. Oh. Did you <laughs> struggle with a, the legal interpretation of some case law? <laughs> like, what I, is going on? No, yeah, this is just... these. Now we're going... Now it's getting grandiose. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I understand the importance of hard work. Okay. I understand the importance of hard work and a positive outlook again with a positive outlook. And I realize that even with these, we won't always be successful. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> now you're talking about you know, human kind collectively. Yeah. <laughs> Learning Farsi has been only one of life's many challenges, oh. but it has provided me with a set of tools to use in all my future endeavors. Okay. What? What'd you do with it? Yeah. It's been several years, by the way. Hmm. I, yeah. Why are you writing about this? Sean, you're a good writer. And this is a totally misguided theme. You need to start over and you need to, you could absolutely tell me that you learned Farsi in less than a year. That's awesome. But you could boil this whole whole thing down to that one sentence. <laughs> I would reach all these same conclusions about you, about the discipline and overcoming obstacles and all that shit. All you had to do is tell me that you learned Farsi in less than a year. Yeah, what and then I'd love got? to know what you did. And then and then you went, you were deployed somewhere, and how did you use it, or what have you done with it since? Yeah, um, this was seven years ago. Yeah. So wait, where does it say seven? Oh, it's at the very top. Yeah. yeah. Joined the army in 2013, but it's like you're Sean. You're like an adult person, you know, <laughs> like a grown person who has had adult experiences like in the world. And instead you're telling me about basically a college experience because you're 
you know, you're studying Farsi and the whole thing is about like being in class and hitting the books and studying and taking an exam. But (laughs) that's not real life though. Nope. (sighs) Thank you. Cut it it down to one sentence and include that sentence in a new personal statement. Yeah. Preferably one that emphasizes the achievements, accomplishments, experiences of your past seven years after this happened. Yeah. Okay. Is that it? Thanks, John. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, I hope you knew what you're getting into, but I mean, yeah. This is one of the best written pieces we've, we've talked about on the show. Yeah, for sure. I just think it's a total whiff on the theme. Yep. And too many conclusions. You need more facts, far fewer conclusions. And like you, you and tell us a more grown up story, I think. Yeah. Okay. Hey, you can join the Thinking LSAT podcast group on Facebook. You can also follow us at Thinking LSAT on Instagram and on Twitter. Visit strategyprep.com for my classes in D.C., foxlsat.com for classes in Nathan's classes in L.A. and San Francisco. We also both do one-on-one tutoring. Our joint project is lsatdemon.com. You can study anywhere on your phone or computer, and the demon will learn what you're good and bad at and help you improve. You can also hit the Ask button in the demon, and Nathan will get back to you quickly with all sorts of help that you cannot find anywhere else. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, and our very own thinkinglsat.com, which is, by the way, the same place you can get a t-shirt if you want a t-shirt. The Leave t-shirts a review are on sweet. iTunes. They are sweet. And they're Jenny super will send soft. them to you quickly. Yeah, they're awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That was episode 230 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Nice knowing ya. Don't pay for law school.